Alright guys, what's up? Welcome back. I'm back. Here we are. I got coffee. I got a water. I'm sitting down on Monday morning to record another edition of Free Country. And uh, it's exciting to be back on the pod. I know it's been a few weeks. A bunch of you guys have messaged me and been like, what's up with the podcast? And I'll, I'll explain. But first I want to say um, that I hope your day is going well. I hope your September is off to a good start. We are you know, pushing up against fall. And that's wild. Uh, this year is just flying by, and the music keeps flying <laughs> out of out of Nashville and out of Texas and out of Appalachia and out of PBS. As of last night, I was I was watching the new Ken Burns documentary last night and really really enjoying it. And do I want to talk about that first, or do I want to let me explain where I've been? Okay, so before I get into Ken Burns, before I get into any music, I uh, I know the podcast has been delayed lately. So uh, about two and a half weeks ago, I was just having a really bad day, and I live about an hour away from my folks, so I was like, you know what? I'm in the middle of a massive temper tantrum. I'm going to go home, and went home and uh, found my mom in the kitchen and she told me, you know, we were going to call you. How did you know to come home? And I was like, what do you mean? How did I know to come home? And um, basically found out, you know, by surprise, I had come home right when my dad had been diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so that was a pretty big curveball to get thrown. And um, I I've, I've stayed home that weekend. I went home again. Um, I've been going home every weekend just to see my folks, see my family, visit. Dad's doing extremely well. Um, he's done with his original dosing of chemo, but yeah, it's just scary, you know. And it it kind of threw me for a loop for a second, and then at first I just kind of was like, "Have a happy Labor Day," and then the next week I didn't really say anything, and it's not really something I want to communicate about and like talk about in some big regular way. But it's just something going on um, in our lives right now. And I'm trying to be a present son and brother. And um, yeah, that's just for you guys to know. Um, prayers are appreciated. And, and like I said, dad's doing really well. He's having a great attitude. And yeah, we'll see kind of we'll see kind of how things go from here. And yes, so that was that was a factor in some of the delays. Now, added on top of that is the fact that I have started meeting with some business mentors here in town. And, uh, oh, and BT Dubs, you have my dad to thank for, I really, I really fell out of making videos for like a week. And I was kind of freaked out. And um, my dad basically, in the most dad move ever, chewed me out and said that I needed to get back on top of my channel and that like it... It, uh, you know, I'm worrying too much about him and squandering my audience. And um, he's like, I want you to make YouTube videos. It's not caring to me to just stop and put your whole life on hold. And so I was like, that's not fair, man. I was visiting you. And, but, you know, it's a good dad move <laughs> to be like, Grady, get back in the saddle and, and start shooting again. So uh, I have, and the channel's been going really well, and I appreciate his advice. Now, I've also been getting advice. Uh, I've also been getting advice from some business mentors here in town. There's an organization called SCORE, 
it's an acronym and I don't remember what it all stands for. It's something corporation of retired executives. I want to say that's what it's for. Um, but it's what it sounds like. It's retired executives that offer free business mentoring to young entrepreneurs. And so I've been meeting with them and they have really, really been helping me synthesize what I do and to work more efficiently and to, um, focus and, they, they were, they, they ain't the biggest fans of the podcast. They're like, wait, why do you work on this thing that you make no money from that is uh, time consuming and causes you a lot of stress? And I was like, well, I'm, 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 I don't know, because I, I feel like you should, right? You should have a podcast. And they're like, but your whole audience is on YouTube. And, you know, touche is what I have to say to them. It's uh it's they're really kind and really supportive and they are helping me see that like yeah even the most listened to podcast it's like a fraction of what sort of my audience is on youtube and so um it's their advice that i kind of pull back on this but i don't really want to do that but there likely are going to be some changes kind of coming to the podcast i don't think i'm going to you know, send it the way of the dodo and never work on it, but it might be a little bit more um, on a sort of as-it-comes basis, if there's something extra and fun to do. But as far as something regular, I do think it's actually detracting from being able to just put out more content in the place where most people like to listen to it. And I understand that most of the listeners on this podcast are people that are like, I'd prefer to listen to this on my commute or something, but... Um, the audience I have is the audience I have. And so I'm trying to just figure out how to better serve the most people. Um, some version of this will definitely exist. If you're a patron and you're like, oh, I'm mainly supporting because of the podcast. I feel um, zero frustration with you guys. If if you're like, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, put my money elsewhere because I mostly care about this podcast. And if you're going to be doing more YouTube, um, then that's not really my thing. Now, I will say my plan, if I'm going to be doing less of these podcasts on a true weekly basis, is to do um, really like build out the patron podcast each month. You know, people that support it three dollars or more a month um, get an extra podcast episode per month over there, and I think that'll be kind of my big catch-all. Like, sit down for a good long time, not do like a quick little bonus episode, but something a little more thorough over on Patreon. But I'm not quite sure exactly how it's all going to to shake out. I really do think that it is good advice, though, to focus on the YouTube channel and um, let people kind of arise and help out with things like podcasts. Because it was getting to the point then where then I was filming the podcast, then I had a separate channel, and I was adding all these extra hurdles. And not to mention, this is what really freaked me out, a Billboard article posted last week about how um, music publishers are really going to start cracking down on podcasts and clips being used in them like podcasts are suddenly going to be facing a lot more scrutiny. And so I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't have licensing for any of these things and I have been playing clips. And so this week there won't be any, um, I have enough copyright struggles on YouTube to not want to open that can of worms. I also want to cut back on the editing time and yeah, I'm just learning as I go. And guys, I really can't thank you guys enough for being on that journey with me. Um, like I always say on this podcast, I really don't want it to be so much about me and my life and my journey of entrepreneurship. And it's more about the music. Um, I think 
the ideas about country music are why we're all here. But I know in some ways, I think I've probably misused this platform a little bit as a place to process my own emotions. And then I get too sensitive and too wrapped up in all of it when really it ain't that serious. We're just here to talk about music. So big takeaways that I'm trying to communicate in the beginning of this. My dad is sick. Um, I'm definitely pulled in a lot of directions right now. Um, I am trying to focus in as a not not just as a country music critic, but also as a businessman on what makes the most sense for me to pursue right now. Uh, there will still be podcasts. They will not be weekly. Uh, the patron podcast is only going to get um, a little bit bigger and more in-depth, and that'll still just be on a monthly basis. And I can't play music in the podcast anymore because the publishers have basically said we're going to sue you. So <laughs> it's a lot of like shots to take, but... On the whole, I really am, I think, thriving. It's cool to see the channel doing really well. Kelly Clarkson, um, you know, right after right after my dad told me to get back in the saddle and start editing, Kelly Clarkson swooped out of the sky with a whole rant about country music and um, kind of got jump-started things over on YouTube, and that's been awesome. And um, yeah, so, so that's all. That's all that. And I appreciate you guys understanding and... You know, a lot of the patrons, you heard about my dad a few weeks ago, and I was a lot more emotional in that one. Um, but thanks so much for reaching out and with kind words and with prayers. Uh, I really appreciate it. And he's the he's the reason I like country music in the first place. So, yeah, he went through like a phase in the 90s, and that's what got me into it. But country music, as we know, goes way back further than the 90s. <laughs> and that's what I was learning last night in Ken Burns. Uh, country music documentary. If you haven't heard about this thing, Ken Burns has putting out an eight-part series, 16 hours, about uh, the history of country music. They've been working on this thing for like eight years. And I knew some of this stuff, you know, uh, in the first episode. I knew a little bit about the Carter family since I live here in Virginia. But man, I thought it was so good. Did you guys think it was so good? I thought it was so, so good. So this documentary, especially the first episode, um, which is all I have seen. I know you can stream more of it on PBS.org. And if you want to check them out, they're all streaming for free. I mean, it's public television. So it's not something you got to wait for Hey You or Hulu or um, Amazon or anything like that. It's all right there on PBS. But it's uh, this first episode was all about the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers and them recording in Bristol, Virginia slash Tennessee. And it kind of being the big bang of country music and the influences of how like the banjo came from Africa and then uh, Scott and Irish music uh, kind of melding with it and this how the blues are basically neighbors. There's some really good interviews all through there. Merle Haggard is amazing. Uh, Ketch Sakor, who is an old Crow Medicine show, He's going to be, like, I think the breakout interviewer. Him and Rhiannon Giddens are both just incredibly entertaining and informative and plain-spoken and just truly, you can tell they're passionate about music. Um, Dolly's in there. Merle's in there. I mean, my main thought from the first episode was a few things. First off, it's just really cool. I have some major Virginia pride seeing how essential Virginia and the mountain people of Virginia out in the hills and hollers out there, were in the creation of this genre of music. Um, I thought that was really awesome. The other one was that specifically, 
I found it really cool thinking about the Carter family and thinking about Maybelle Carter at 18 years old, pregnant and married, and she didn't even really want to do music, but she just was a talented guitarist. She, she wasn't even much of a guitarist at first, but she was a talented musician. Um, and her guitar style of just kind of the Carter scratch and just kind of how she would pluck a note and then strum, strum a chord with it has become pretty much the defining guitar style of the past century, not just of country music, but of music. I mean, that's one of the most popular guitar playing styles in the world. And just, you know, I think we talk a lot about uh, women being left out of country music and, and there's validity in that discussion, but it's really cool to see this teenage girl be one of the most formative people <laughs> in the whole genre. So I thought a lot about that. And then I also thought about Jimmy Rogers being like so much more of a character and so much more of an influence than I really understood. You know, I know the name Jimmy Rogers, but I did not know like very much about him at all. I mean, he had a lot of swagger. He had a lot of hustle. It seems like in, in some ways it was interesting because I feel like country music history it sort of starts with Hank and the Opry in, in a lot of people's minds and kind of in my mind. And just to see it go way further back was really helpful. And to see how much Jimmy Rogers maybe influenced Hank in ways I didn't fully understand. I didn't know the whole yodel-a-yo, yodel-a-yo, like that whole yodel sound. I didn't know that it really went back to, to Jimmy Rogers and that he was the person that really popularized that. I didn't know anything about the minstrelsy um, and how that was a, a popular sound with them. I mean, I think like, I just thought it was, it's very thoughtfully made this whole documentary. And I know people have been talking about how, Oh, it's got a bias or an agenda. And I feel like I've been sent articles from different people that are coming down on both sides of it. Some saying he's not including African-Americans enough. Others saying, Oh, this is clearly trying to like be race baiting, but I don't know. I didn't see much evidence that it was some big heavy-handed thing either way in that first episode. I thought it was really just thoughtful and clear. So I loved the first episode. I feel like Jimmy Rogers is going to get a biopic or something made about him. I I also like that it portrayed artists as a little less of these kind of... I know there wasn't some genre template that people had to fit then but I can tend to imagine old school country stars as being sort of purists and traditionalists and really the way it framed the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers was less like we want to make true blue country music and more like we want to make money people like these sounds and so we'll go after them so to see Jimmy Rogers be like yeah I'll collaborate with this trumpet player named Louis Armstrong sure I'll work with this you know, a Hawaiian group and write a song about Hawaii. And the way I'm really critical about a lot of what I see as really shallow cross-genre pollination sometimes, I think usually that's because it's shallow, but it definitely felt my perspective being stretched by the fact that, you know, I'm so hard on some of these pop country guys, and yet here we have Jimmy Rogers, literally one of the founders of the whole genre, doing stuff that's not so dissimilar, you know? So I felt pretty stretched by it. I felt really impressed, and I can't keep, I can't wait to keep watching this series. And I'd love to know what you guys thought of it too. Other stuff going on in country world in the past few weeks. Let's see. I did an interview with Zach Bryan. Now, if you guys don't know who Zach Bryan is, he is a, a Navy ordinanceman, 
23 years old, not the same as Zachary Tyler Bryan from uh, Home Improvement, though they look somewhat similar. But he released this album called Deanne that is really becoming this kind of in the indie country world. And for a lot of fans of maybe my channel or this podcast, like sort of the new buzzy album. I'm talking same level of buzz as like Sturgill Simpson or Tyler Childers. And, and Zach's just this really intense, emotional guy. Um, he's processing a breakup. He's processing the death of his mother. And he's doing it all with these songs that he's been crafting for years. And they're, uh, they're beautiful. It's very homespun. It's very plain in some ways. But he just has this uh, kind of yelpy intensity in his voice that makes the album hugely compelling and um, I did an interview with him it was kind of his first on-camera interview ever and we just did it over Skype but I did it because I really believe in that album so many of you guys asked me to check it out and um, it's interesting it's interesting and think I think it's worth a listen other albums I've listened to and specifically the ones that I really haven't gotten to talk about in any forum because um, of finding out about my dad's diagnosis would be uh, Vince Gill's Oki that is another album that I listened to and loved. I mean, there's actually been a lot of veteran albums this year from artists whose back catalogs I don't really know that thoroughly. But Vince Gill would be one of those. I know who Vince Gill is. I know some of Vince Gill's biggest hits. I know Vince Gill is really respected. I know Vince Gill is popular for the Bakersfield sound. I know Vince Gill is married to Amy Grant. But do I know everything about Vince Gill? Absolutely not. So I came into Oki... Uh, thinking of him as just sort of this gentle, almost grandfatherly, wizened Nashville guy and seems like a pretty fair assessment of him based on this album, which is attempting to be unifying and thoughtful about issues like race and abortion um, and marriage and fidelity. And there's even a song here called Forever Changed about like being abused. And I guess he said in an interview in Rolling Stone with Marissa Moss that he was abused um, by a by a gym coach in middle school. And so he's reflecting on that and just saying to these abusers, you know, when you do these things, these people are forever changed and they can't just forget it and move on. I mean, the whole album, it's like shocking how graceful it is and thoughtful. And he's really attempting to unify in a super polarized country. And man, I just appreciate it. That, I think in some ways that's what I want out of my – the elder statesman of country music is like I don't, I don't actually really like activist-y type music. I'm, I'm a political person but in a sort of more – on a more individual basis than I am. I just don't love listening to people pontificate about what the right thing for all of us to do is. But something about the fact that Vince Gill is so much older um, and that his message is so based in unity – makes me way more prone to listen to him and I just really appreciate that album on the whole and I think there's there's just a lot of beauty in it. It's very simple. His voice is amazing. I think I forget how amazing his voice is, but it's really really good. Um now another veteran that's maybe on uh, a different side of things is Brandy Carlisle. <laughs> Not Brandy Carlisle. Is uh, Tanya Tucker. Tanya Tucker with an album produced by Brandy Carlisle and mostly written by Brandy Carlisle. Um and the Tanya album is good. I think her voice is super gravelly. And like I said, I don't know everything about Tanya Tucker. Now, I know she's had some marriages. I know she's um, kind of an outlaw 
<laughs> a, kind of like an outlawish bad girl of country. But man, she's coming back with pink hair and a real like sleek relaunch of her um, truly as one of these sort of veteran artists. And maybe her label is wanting to push her in a way to kind of be taken seriously again after so long away. Because I think this is her first original album in 17 years. Now, I do think it, this album feels a touch impersonal because, you know, knowing that she didn't write the songs on here, knowing that they're mostly Brandy Carlisle songs, it, it, I think you can feel that. Some of them feel somewhat generically written, like, okay, we're getting a lot of thoughts about traveling and a lot of broad thoughts about just life and how life is complex, but not really, you know, you listen to an album like Vince's and Vince's has some really incisive, specific subject matter that you can tell matters to him as a singer. And Tanya, I don't really get the same vibe from it, but she sounds really good. The production on it's excellent. So I really enjoyed listening to that record. I think that, um, what's the one that made me chuckle really hard? There's a funny song. I don't owe you anything. That might've been my favorite song on here. I like, I mean, I just liked hearing that kind of plain spoken sass. Um, Wheels of Laredo is really gorgeous. I actually like Tanya's version of Wheels of Laredo a lot more than I like the version of it that's on the High Women record. Um, now the High Women record, I have a whole review up on the channel of, but it is fine. I don't think it's very fun, but I think it's good. I think there's a lot of great songs on there, but, um, something about the production makes it feel sort of forgettable to me. And um, anyway, I have a whole review, so you can check that out there. The last album I haven't really gotten to talk about in any way is Trisha Yearwood's. Trisha Yearwood's album, uh, what's it called? Every Girl in This Town. I think that's what it's called. I did not like it, like, really at all. I felt like song to song, it didn't make a lot of sense altogether. And some of the songs were just weird and they get like disco-y and then there's one that features Garth Brooks, but he's basically just singing harmony on it. Um, she's a great voice, but to me, that record just did not add up too much. I don't know. So those are the new albums that I've um, not been able to talk about just yet. I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting, but those are the main three that have kind of been on my mind of, oh crap, I got to figure out some way to cover those soon. Um, but yeah, my favorite of them, absolutely Vince Gill's Oki. There's also been a bunch of new songs out, you know, Cody Jinx has dropped two new singles. Um, well, he's announced that he's dropping two albums that'll be released a week apart from each other. There's After the Fire and The Wanting, and he has put out a few different songs, um, three altogether, and they're interesting. One is about William and Wanda, who I take it to be his grandparents. One is called think like you think and i freaking love this song this is a song where he's basically saying like you know i profess this degree of faith which should require some degree of righteous living um but then i'm really hypocritical and i just get wasted and so his wife is confronting him saying how can you think what you think and drink like you drink and i appreciate it i mean cody much like johnny cash had later in life is i think in his writing really expressing an ownership of his faith and a de-romanticization of kind of his nefarious bad boy side in recent albums. It seems like Cody is acknowledging that, like, you know, I can't just say I believe these things. If I believe these things, I need to live by them. 
I think that's been really interesting to observe. It makes me really respect him. Uh, Cody, Cody's a guy, big beard. Um, he's out of Texas. Well, I don't know what size his beard is now, but as I always complain about Texas artists, there's so little promo pictures of them. Um, but I know he shaved recently, like a year ago. So maybe, maybe it's halfway back, but Cody, he's such a thoughtful songwriter. If you're not on board with Cody Jenks, I really recommend it. His last two albums are super accessible. Um, and you'll get a really great, a really great feeling for his kind of mix of, uh, maybe like intense emotional songwriting with a sort of brooding vibe about it. And to balance that out, there's there is a honky tonk attitude as well. So you get some sort of just like fun bar songs, but then you get a lot of 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 world weary brooding. That really would be the word that I would use for Cody Jenks. But um, the Rock is who turned me on to Cody Jenks, and I'm really glad he did. But I'm so excited to hear these two albums. I hope that they are um, easy to review because I'm kind of annoyed they come out a week apart from each other. But what he's doing that I really think is cool and that I wish more artists would do is he's actually putting all of the lyrics um, and songwriters and credits for his songs on his website. Because that's a major complaint I have as someone that tries to cover music and tries to credit songwriters. So often they're not available anywhere except maybe Wikipedia if a huge fan has decided to go out of their way to update an artist's Wikipedia page. But Cody Jinks wants all of the songs credited correctly, all of the lyrics there, and it's kind of creating an exploratory experience on his website. So I really appreciate that. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I think you can even read through it all already, but I have not done so. But I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to hear what else is on that record. Now, tons of singles have been dropped. And I know I need to check a lot of them out. I think I'm going to do a single roundup later this week. Uh, Kelsey Ballerini has come out with a song called Homecoming Queen. That uh, It's an interesting move for her. It is this song where instead of kind of being... I know Miss Me More was her big hit off her last record. But this is not some glossy pop song. It's a pretty introspective track about maybe pretty girl slash rich girl anxiety of the girls that have to hold it all together. And Kelsey's saying like, hey, homecoming queen, you know, it's okay to cry and to not know what you're doing. I think a lot of people actually, you know, I think a lot of the girls I'm good friends with probably really will relate to this. I definitely even relate to it and having never been a homecoming queen, but I think it's a pretty cool move from her. It's not that country. None of her stuff is, but for me, it's a major step up from from some of her other output. And it's interesting to me that it's connecting so well because it's a kind of... It's a big ballad, and it doesn't have that much of a hook. Uh, what other big singles have come out? Uh, this this one by Craig Morgan, The Father, My Son, and the Holy Ghost. This has been an interesting story. It kind of like, I mean, Craig Morgan tragically lost his son. I believe his son drowned a few years ago. And, you know, he's kind of not had much of a country career for the last decade. But Craig came out with this song about him sort of grieving and not being able to get over the death of his son and thinking about, you know, God and his son and the Holy Ghost and how he's this father that, you know, had to bury his son. And it's really, really emotional. I mean, if you watch the Opry performance, you're going to cry. Like, you're going to cry at the end of that first chorus. 
because he's even making these faces. You can tell it's hard for him to sing, and it's just tragic. And basically, this song dropped. You know, this the Craig Morgan super fans cared about it, but no one else did. But Blake Shelton has kind of been on this rampage to get people to hear the song. He's like, I'll, I would gladly give up my spot at radio for a song like this. Which I take not only as a great kindness, but also maybe as as Blake Shelton's tacit mea culpa for how bad that song Hell Right is. That is his current single. Maybe Blake's trying trying to get himself off of radio. Um, that's the most cynical read of things. But uh, basically, he kind of created this campaign and a bunch of other country musicians started to rally behind it. And Craig's song has ended up going number one all genre on iTunes as the, the word has been spread about this song. And it's a neat story. It's a really neat and beautiful story, and um, I'm happy for him. And I think like, there's clear power in that track, and in, there's something weird and beautiful and good about artists trying to spin their tragedy into into art, trying to process themselves publicly, um, and maybe give people a little bit of solidarity, because other people have gone through something similar, I'm sure. Uh, other big songs, I mean, Parker McCollum is a guy out of Texas. He's got his first big major single out. I'll weigh in on that on the channel later this week. I don't think it's that good, but I know people are obsessed with Parker McCollum, so there's this like pressure that the Texas guys sometimes make me feel of like, oh, crap, I can't dislike a Texan or the mob will come after you. But I don't think that single is anything special. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's a big smash hit. Oh, Hardy. Hardy has new music out. Hardy has the Hicks tape. Now, Hardy's this songwriter that's written everything. I mean, he wrote stuff on Florida Georgia Line. He wrote like half of Florida Georgia Line's new record. He wrote God's Country. He wrote, what other songs does he have out right now? He's got a bunch of songs out right now with different artists. But his song is Rednecker, and I know that song is divisive, but I happen to think Rednecker is in on the joke and a pretty dang funny song. But uh, he released the Hicks tape which is obviously a play on the word mixtape. And it's featuring all these different artists, most of whom aren't even that popular. You've got like Thomas Rhett on there. You've got uh, Cole Swindell on there. But most of the artists are kind of like other songwriters or other up-and-comers. Morgan Wallen is on there. And there's some really interesting songwriting on this record, but I hate the production of it. Um, I think I just don't like how Joey Moy produces things. This is very reminiscent of Florida Georgia Line production. I feel like the same way that Florida Georgia Line kind of has like a, a shouted harmony over all of their super compressed chorus vocals, that is the exact, it, it makes a little more sense with them because they're a duo, but it's the same on Hardy's record all through it. It's like his voice is just overdubbed on top of itself. And to me, it sounds really cheap. That said, there's more interesting songwriting than you might expect. I really like the song that has Trace Adkins on it. And I actually like the song One Beer. Um, which seems like it would be a drinking song, but it's really about like a girl accidentally getting pregnant. And it's funny kind of what one beer, you know, basically they're saying one beer led to drinking too much, led to a pregnancy. Um, and now there's a kid involved and it's like funny what one beer leads to. Um, it's just more interesting than I was expecting based on the title. I still think he's a really good songwriter and I I'm watching him. I, like, my my audience seems very intrigued by Hardy. I get a lot of messages about him. So I'm, I'm taking a second look. And, yeah, 
I think that's all the songs I wanted to talk about. I mean, I know I have a whole list somewhere in my room of all the songs I want to cover in my next single roundup because Luke Combs dropped a new one that I haven't listened to yet. But oh no, guys, the Luke Combs album cover. Maybe this will be my final thought. What happened with the album cover? I love Luke dearly. I think he's so good for country music. I'm so excited he is making uh, country music. But what happened with that cover? Um, I guess it's like someone that is friends with his team named Rob Hendon, who paints these kind of big guitars that a bunch of executives have in their office in Nashville. But wow, wow, wow. For what's probably going to be the flagship album of Luke Combs' career, it is um, a sight. I thought it looks a little bit like an eight-year-old made it. That's all I'll say. But maybe that's going to be what makes it iconic. I'm not sure. Maybe they know something I don't. I'm not sure. But have you guys seen that thing? It's wild. Um, but that's it for me guys this week. I think maybe I will, um, we'll see how often I post. Uh, it's definitely a relief to know I don't have a lot of editing to do on this, that I don't need to add all the music clips in. I'll just put Flatland Cavalry at the front and at the end, um, their song that I always use on these, No Shade of Green. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an ongoing process. I have some figuring out to do, but I wanted to be totally transparent with you guys. And I think also this would be a great place to be able to post interviews as well. So if ever there's like a random conversation with someone, maybe it would be fun to do it as a bonus, but the podcast isn't dead. It's not, it's just changing. And, um, I really thank you guys all for your support and I will see you when I see you. Okay. Bye. Trapped inside her eyes Red lipstick from the blood Of all them boys who failed and tried